Well, good morning, everyone. You know, as we start 2024, let me ask you, how many of you have made all your New Year's resolutions? All written down. We got one person wrote them down. How many of you made them and already broke them? Already just done. Yeah, I'm not a big resolution guy. Uh, I've tried it in the past, and uh, it's just one of those things. It almost becomes onerous to me, and I become a slave to the resolution instead of the outcome of the resolution. You know what I mean? And so it just sometimes gets frustrating. Now, I like goal setting. Goal setting, I think, is good. It doesn't feel as, you know, uh, uh, hard-pressed. And it's not like I don't have good ideas. Like, I I don't try to to dream thoughts or, or dream ideas. Uh, but I'm just not, not a big, you know, resolution guy kind of thing. And so this morning, as we step into the first message of 2024, um, I don't bring to you a message on resolutions. I don't bring to you a, a message on goal setting. I'm not bringing a message to you on, on what we should be dreaming about in 2024 or, or big ideas that, that we should be tackling. I don't have... I don't have a, 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 a brainstorming session for us to sit through and come up with new thoughts. Not because I don't like to dream. I, I, I like to dream. I like to, to think about new ideas. In fact, if you call up Mike Lawson, he'll tell you. Uh, I walk down the hallway sometime and knock, knock on Mike Lawson's door and say, hey, got an idea. Crazy thought, crazy thought, but what if? What if? And he just looks at me, he appeases me and shakes his head, and then I go on. I've got a whiteboard in my office that, that I write down thoughts and dreams and, and ideas. Not, not anything that we're going to do immediately, but hey, I, before I lose this thought, let, let's write it down. What, what's a new idea? What's something that, that we could think about? I, uh, I use my phone a lot, my, the, the notes app on my phone. I use that a lot. I curate ideas. So when I run across something online, I'll copy it and put it into my notes. It's not that I don't dream. It's not that I don't have goals. Um, I, I do think about those things. Um, but the message that I thought about today wasn't about dreams and wasn't about goals because it's not the first priority as we look at 2024. Pray first. Have you ever heard that? Pray first. Make prayer the first work. Pray without ceasing. Pray for for all these things. Seek, ask, knock. Words and phrases that if you grew up in the church or around church people, you you may have heard from, from time to time. Pray with all kinds of prayers and petitions, right? Make prayer the first work. Pray first. It's a saying that, that I was taught growing up in church. It's, it's, it's again, something that probably many of us have heard in one way or another, maybe not exactly in that phrasing, but, but we've probably heard it one way or another. Pray first, pray always. Make prayer the first work. There, it's things that, that we, we talk about in church world. It's things that, that sometimes, maybe in some churches, you'll walk into a boardroom or a meeting room or, or an office and you'll see it, uh, you know, framed on the wall somewhere, you know, pray first and, and uh, seek first. We say these things, but do we do them? Do we, do we, do we really pray first? Is prayer really the first work 
that we should that we that we engage with on our daily lives and our individual lives corporately as a church is prayer the first thing now sometimes what will happen and, and I remember this even in college uh, we I went to bible college and and you know, many times the, the professors would pray first at the start of class or, or a lot of times in our committee meetings here at the church or at staff meetings, we'll pray first before we get into stuff. And, and that's good. And, and I think that's, that's important, but I don't know that, that we always do it. I know that I don't always do it uh, individually when I'm sitting and thinking about a new concept or a new thought. I don't know that I diligently pray first I'll pray through it. I'll pray about it. I'll pray around it. But if you're like me, sometimes it's not the first thing that we do. Sometimes it's not the priority that we put it as, that it should be. And we don't live it the way we want to at times. So as I look, was looking ahead to the start of 2024 and laying out the preaching calendar, I've got a pretty good idea of where we're going for the first four or five months. As I was laying out the preaching calendar, I I thought if prayer is important enough to be considered the first work, then, then let's start the year looking at prayer together corporately and actually praying as individuals and a congregation. But how do you, how do you pray? How do you pray? How do you pray? Right? It's a thing that we all think about from time to time. Anytime somebody says, let's pray, you know, I think many of us would, would sit and think, well, how do we pray? What, what should I be praying about? What are the things that, that God thinks is valuable that I should actually uh, list or, or pray for? How do we Pray, and then how do you pray as an individual? Some people, I'm, I'm sure that you have many friends that, that grew up in the church or call themselves Christ followers, but would say, but would say, I'm not a good prayer, right? I'm not a good prayer. I, uh, and, and this really comes out when we ask people to pray out loud, right? Can we, let's pray as a group. Awesome. Now let's pray out loud. I'm out right? We don't, and, and it's, it's not, not probably my guess would be nine times out of 10. It's not the fear of the room, but we don't know what to say. I'm not a good, and, and we'll have friends that'll say, I'm not, a, I'm not a good prayer. I'm not, I don't pray good. I don't pray well out loud. Maybe it's, we don't feel confident in what to say. Maybe it's, we don't feel, um, Maybe, maybe, maybe if we start to pray, somebody will feel uh, some certain way about what we're praying for. Maybe we feel silly about what the things that, that come out of it. Maybe we're not confident enough in what our own request is to pray out loud. I, and here's the thing. I don't think you're, you or we, I don't think we're bad prayers. I don't think we're bad at it at all. I mean, first of all, how do you define good and bad with prayer? How do you define what's a good prayer and what's a bad prayer? Secondly, who's policing that? Right? Like, yeah, that was a bad prayer. I'm, we're going to have to knock you down. A, like, like, no communion for you today. 
okay? Like who's, who's, but these are, do you understand? Like these are the emotions we bring to the table. We bring that to the table. I'm not a good prayer. I, I, just, I don't think that's true. Who defines what's good and bad? Who's policing it? And, and I think what happens is we think back over the course of our life and we remember and we think about the people around us who we would say were really good prayers, right? Think about it for a minute. I bet you could think about two or three people in your life that if you had a need right now and you could ask anybody to pray for you, who would it be? Because for us, those people set an example. Maybe it was, maybe they had a certain eloquence, right, in their prayer. Which makes us nervous to pray out loud. Well, I can't pray like they pray. I'm going to sit there. I'm just going to stumble all over my words. That's okay. Or maybe you sensed a, a bit of power in their prayer. And you're not sure if you have that power. See, sometimes we've heard people make comments about how they pray and when they pray and how long they pray. And we sit and we listen to that. And we're like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't get up at 4.30 a.m. every day and pray for six hours on my knees in front of a, like, 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 like the stories we've built up about prayer for some of us, it's unattainable and it's unsustainable. And, and, and so we get discouraged and we decide, look, I know prayer is important, but I don't think I can pray that way. And so we get discouraged and, and maybe we don't pray or we feel foolish in our prayers or we're not confident in our prayers. And so prayer kind of just slips off the table. Prayer kind of just sits on the side. Prayer becomes something that we do only over a meal. And if we're out at a restaurant, you know, it's down real quiet, you know, real quiet. And it's not real long. It's over a meal. It's at a family gathering or it's before a sporting event that we're involved in. We'll pray real quick. But I don't think we're bad prayers. I just think we need some encouragement. I think we need some direction. Because I think God listens to all of our prayer. And I think God appreciates all of our prayers. Prayer in and of itself. Now, I'm not giving away the the whole series in this sentence because there's more to it. This isn't even part of it. Prayer is simply talking to God. It is simply communicating to God the way you would with somebody else that you love. It's that easy. But it's deeper than that too. It's that easy, but it's more profound as well. It's that simple, but man, there's something behind it when we get into it. And so the question I had for us is, how do we pray? You know, the disciples asked Jesus a very similar question in in the gospel of Luke. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, "Uh, Lord, teach us to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, we see a very similar setting where Jesus is standing before not only his disciples, but before a crowd of people teaching them on what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. 
that has come to this earth at this time? What is it like to be a Christ follower? What is it like to be a God follower? What is it like to live the way God asks us to live in the day and time that we live right now? Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 answer that. And in chapter 6, we see something very similar to, to what Jesus taught in Luke where Jesus stands before the people, before his disciples, and he says, now pray this way. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Over the next few weeks, I want to break down this prayer. If we think that prayer is important, if we think that prayer is vital, if we believe it should be the first work, then before we start to worry about the content of our prayers, maybe we should ask Jesus how it is we should pray. What should our perspective be? What should our priorities be? And when we go back to Matthew, we learn this is how Jesus instructs us to pray. N.T. Wright in his book, The Lord and His Prayer, suggests that, that this prayer, the prayer that we just read, commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, helps us make a, understand a change of priority in prayer, not a change in content. When we look at this prayer, it helps us change our priority and our perspective about prayer, not the content. What I want us to hear about that is this. What you pray for is important, whatever it is. There is nothing that is too little of importance that we shouldn't take to God. We'll get to that in the next couple of weeks. But just know this. Whatever is on your heart, whatever is in your spirit, whatever is on your mind, as little as you may think it is, as great as you may think it is, it is worthy to go to God with in prayer. The content of our prayer is not what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. Instead, as Wright ex- explains to us, it's the priority or the purpose or the perspective of prayer. How do we pray? What angle do we approach God with in prayer? What we often ask for and take to God, it comes from our heart. And so we're not here to to debate the issues of our content, but instead to realize that Jesus is giving us a new perspective. Jesus isn't talking about what you're praying about. In fact, if if you keep on reading in the Gospels, isn't there a place and time when Jesus says, whatever you pray for, right? Ask for anything. Jesus gives us a different perspective though on prayer when we think about it in the Lord's Prayer. So what if, as as N.T. Wright suggests, we see this prayer as Jesus understanding God's purposes 
Jesus also shares this prayer because he understands God's purpose for us. And so he starts. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Three things we notice about this first phrase that help us to gain, maybe not, maybe for some of us a new perspective, maybe for some of us a a reimagined perspective, and maybe for some of us a remembrance of what we've been taught. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Three things to point to. First of all, Jesus calls us to an intimacy with God. Our prayers should be surrounded in some kind of intimacy with God. An intimacy that's defined as God being our Father. Father in the Greek is this word Abba, and and it has this idea of, of, of carrying the word, this intimate phrase, Daddy. It's this lovingness that's between a father and his children. Jesus uses his words very carefully when he starts this section on prayer. He says, you should pray this way, our Father. Helping us see this intimate relationship that he's trying to develop. If our perspective on God, think of it this way, if our perspective on God is one that is uh, impersonal, if we think that God is cold and distant, if we think that, that God is perhaps a, a, a distant mishmash of cosmic ooze that's just out there, or if we think about God as somebody who wound up the clock and let it tick away and then walked off to do other things and let the clock run its course, if we think that God is distant and cold. Wouldn't that be reflected in our prayers as well? Who prays to a cold and distant God? And what kind of prayers are we praying to a cold and distant God? In fact, if God is not there, God is not present, why would, why would, we, why would we pray at all? Jesus is is showing us that God is constantly with us, our Father. Jesus is showing us that God is personal and intimate. Think about family relationships. Think about the image of God as our Father. Now, there's challenges to this we recognize. Because for some of us, we didn't have great fathers. And so every time we read in Scripture, Father God, it's a little bit of a dig for us. It's a little bit of a pain point. We recognize that. But you know that the earthly father is not the model of the heavenly father. In fact, it's the inverse The heavenly father is to be the model for the earthly father. And so if our earthly father has, has, has done something against us, if our earthly father has caused us 
pain, if our earthly father is cold and distant, if our earthly father was not present by their own choice, if our earthly father did not step up the way fathers should, it's not a reflection of God the Father. It's a reflection of brokenness. And it shouldn't taint, although hard, let's admit that, it shouldn't taint our perspective as God, our Father. Jesus is trying to drive home the point of intimacy in our prayers. Let your prayer start with a perspective of an intimate approach to God himself. John R.W. Stott said it this way, that the creator of all, the creator of all, cares about the creation he has made. I want you to think about that for a minute. The creator of all cares about the creation. That when we pray, Father in heaven, it is a draw to an intimate conversation, knowing on our, on our end, knowing that the person, the, the, the creator that we pray to, who created everything, cares enough to hear from you. There's intimacy. Our Father, who is in heaven. I almost said who art in heaven. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to mess this up like 50 times this month because we've all memorized it from different translations, right? In fact, we're going to, we're going to say this prayer later at the end of our, at the end of our communion. And I'm going to implore you to please read it off the screen. Otherwise, we're going to come to that debts and debtors and trespasses and trespasses. We're all going to say something different. And that's okay. Because the point this morning is to try to understand the perspective that Jesus is trying to bring to us. First of all, that as we pray, we should pray with intimacy. Secondly, as we pray, we should understand God's holiness. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's an encouragement on our part to recognize the other than-ness of God. God is separate from. God is not like. God is set apart. God is holy. To, to when we hallowed be your name, when we recognize his holiness, we are recognizing that he is not like anything else around us. He is not like the friend that we get advice from. God is not like the person that we, that we dial up on the internet, that we follow on TikTok, that we listen to on the radio. God is completely other than God is not a good feeling. God is not a good thought. God is not good vibes. God is other than. God is set apart. God is to be revered as holy. 
And so when we pray with these things that weigh us down, from great to small, we pray to one who is separate and distinct and not like anything else. Not like a God of wood or a God of stone that has no feeling. Not like an image that we would place in our house or in our vehicle. God is other than. God is uniquely different. God is to be seen as holy. God is in heaven. God is hallowed. We are to submit ourselves to this holy God. And in submitting ourselves to a holy God, we submit to the answer of of our prayer. Our prayers are not, how do I get what I want? Our prayers are, how do I go to my Father who loves me, but recognizing his holiness and separateness to, to, to act with sovereignty in my life that I trust. As a creator who loves his creation, do I set him apart in my prayer as the one that I trust? Or is he just like my friend from down the street that I just kind of bounce some ideas off of? God is to be seen as holy. And in our curiosity, we must set him apart as such. And in our commitment, we must trust his sovereignty. Jesus is trying to help us understand how we approach God in prayer, how we approach prayer. And he says, treat God as an intimate father. Treat God as the holy sovereign. And then he says this. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. Another echo rings through the hearts and the minds of those who taught, who were taught the Old Testament scriptures. Imagine being in the crowd that day. Imagine being one of the disciples and you hear our Father. And for some of them, they were taken back to the Old Testament. They were taken back to Exodus chapter 4. And they were reminded of the power and the revolution that the Father gave to his people. In Exodus chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, we see the story of how Israel became slaves in Egypt. We see the story of how they were exiled from, from their home and taken captive. We see the story of how they were mistreated. We see the story of how they prayed and they cried out to God to be delivered from that which was gripping them, holding them, keeping them from the promise. In Exodus chapter 4, God speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to say this, 
let my people, what is it? Go. Let my people go. Let them go. And you remember Moses was a little nervous about this? He was like, yeah, you know, I'm not like, what, what assurances do I bring to the table that, that, to Pharaoh so that, you know, and, and in the, the Old Testament story, if you go back and remember, if you're in a one-year Bible reading plan, you'll get to this in a couple weeks, I think. God begins to talk about, well, these are some things that are going to happen if Pharaoh doesn't, right? Remember the plagues? And the last one, Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. God says to Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. It's the first time in Scripture that the idea of fatherhood from God in heaven is attributed to his people. Israel is my son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And this is where the story of the Passover comes, right? This is where the story of the Passover comes because on that night, if those who followed God, those who followed Yahweh, marked their home in a certain way, God passed over that home and went and fulfilled this prophecy on the other homes. Remember that? Which is where we get the Lord's table. He said, Let my son go. The echo of fatherhood rings from this Exodus passage. It's a theme of exile and redemption. It's a theme of of letting go that which was being held captive. It's a theme of being freed from the bondage that enslaved people from from experiencing and, and, and knowing God's goodness to them to the freedom that he wants for them. It's an echo of power and revolution. When we pray our Father, we are praying to a God who wants to release people from what has taken them captive. They are exiled from from their home and how they should be living and the people that they love. They are enslaved to masters who mistreat them. We use different words today. We use the word addiction. We use the word sin that takes hold of us. We use phrases like, "I'm, I'm caught up in and I can't let go of. And Jesus looks at us and he says, this is how I want you to pray about that. I want you to pray our Father. Because when you pray our Father, it echoes back to the deliverance of Israel, the power and the revolution that came when Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, God has heard the cry of my people and we are, he is not putting up with this anymore. Let them go. 
And the prayer is the same for you and for me. When we are wrestling with things that, that hold on to us, when we are re- praying about the things that we can't let go of, when we are praying for the things that keep us in the, uh, the bondage of, of addiction and brokenness, when we pray about those things, God says through Jesus in this statement, come to me as the father who stands up for his children and says no more. We're done with this. It's time for power and revolution to come in your heart and in your spirit. We're done with this. I want to free you from it. I want to give you that which I promised you. I want you to experience the goodness that I created for you. I want to break this in your heart and in your spirit. And if we ever wondered, is there a God who can do this? Absolutely. He's our father who stands up for his children. You ever do that as a parent? You ever stand up for your children? Do you ever see parents do that? Go to a little league baseball game. Whole lot of mama bears in the stand. That umpire makes a bad call. You don't hear it from the dugout. You hear it from the mamas in the stand. Somebody does something to your kid on the court. You got a whole group of moms up in the stand ready to go. Your child ever come home and tell you about something that happened? And you're ready to go fight for them. Kids are 25 and 23, my oldest too, and they still call and say stuff that happens. I'm like, do I need to get on a plane? Am I coming? Like, am I, where do I need, just tell me where I need to show up. Just, just, in fact, just give me a name. Just give me the name. That's all I need. Give me the name and you don't worry about it. What would we do for our kids? Isn't that what God would do for us? When we pray, our Father. It's a call to intimacy. It's a call to holiness and recognizing his sovereignty. But it's also a call to remember that there is one who has the power to deliver me from where I'm at. So, where are you at today? What are the prayers that you've been praying? What situation needs resolved in your heart? What situation needs some kind of revolution that, that you and your own strength can't bring to it? What, what, is, what are you walking with and dealing with in your home that unless God intervenes, and we've tried everything else, what are we praying for? as a church that God would do in our midst week after week and month after month and year after year? Do we pray with intimacy, realizing his love? Do we pray with conviction, knowing his sovereignty? Do we pray believing his power to actually work? Now, we would be amiss if we didn't spend some time in prayer, right? Feels like that's a good wrap up to the message. 
it would be awkward to not pray during this series. And so for a moment, I want you to think about the things that have been heavy on your heart. And for a moment, let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, help us to proclaim your name as holy, to trust your sovereignty. Father, would you help us to come to you with intimacy. Help us to realize that you care very deeply about the things that we're wrestling with today. The things that are in our heart, the the things that keep us up at night, the new issues that we had so much hope that 2024 was going to be different. And even now in the first seven days, We're struggling. Father, would you hear us? Would you hear us as a child who just desperately wants a resolve? Father, would you help us to trust your sovereignty in it? We recognize you as holy. We recognize you as separate from the things of this world that that you are the one that we put our hope and our trust in. Father, help us to trust this outcome that you bring. And as we pray for the outcomes and as we pray for the things that are on our heart, we pray for your power. There are, there are in, in our humanity, there are roadblocks in front of us. In our humanity, there, are, there is a discipline that, that we can't fight through. In our humanity, God, I don't know. But if you don't do it, I'm not sure it's going to happen. And so we pray for your power to move, for addictions to be broken, for disciplines to be strengthened. And we pray that you would drive out the enemy in our hearts and we would be let go and freed for the goodness that you want for us. This is our prayer. As best that we can make it. 
And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.